Am I even coming through? Oh, yeah, you're perfect. Good. Okay. Are we good? Yep. We're both good. Welcome to BitFaced. What follows today is the first of a two-part episode that Tyler and I taped at Indie Game Con. And as you guys know, we've been doing a lot more live stuff recently. What this is going to be is kind of that chopped up, and we picked kind of our, our favorite parts of it. Um, so we do a pretty good job on the episode actually of introducing each of these guests as they come on. But what follows is we have Dave Gottschalk and Michelle from Payback. And I've never, and I think we talked about this on a cast, I've never had anyone wait more than 30 minutes to talk to me about anything that wasn't real work related. And they hung out at Indie Game Con all day to talk to us about their idea payback which i think is phenomenal i'm gonna let you or let them tell you about it uh once we get to it because we think it's awesome but it is a super cool idea and a good way to monetize mobile games and kind of all games in general yeah we you and i were both really impressed uh with them so that that'll be first following that is daniel and chris from fourth axis and i know we've mentioned their game children of um on the podcast before and how impressed we were with the graphics of that so they're going to be up next and those were super cool guys i hope we get to talk to them again and then uh finishing out this kind of episode is music and movie composer john doric one of the coolest dudes we've ever met in our lives in fact i was really sad that john's interview was at the beginning of the day because we had to kind of not kick him off but we were on a this is the first time we've had a really tight schedule that we had to adhere to we really did we could not spend longer than than 25 minutes with a guest because people were waiting to talk to us which again fucking shocker i'm not used to that at all i don't know if you are trg i'm definitely not (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm not used to anybody waiting to talk to me about anything but john is local here in fact he invited us over to his studio to kind of see how he works and you just want to talk to a guy that you can talk to for hours. John is that guy, and I hope we get to have – in fact, I know we'll probably get to have him back in the cave next year. So just to kind of set some expectations for the end of the year because Tyler and I are going to take some time off, but we're not going to leave you hanging like we did Thanksgiving week with no episode. This episode will sandwich our Christmas episode, which we will tape tomorrow. A very bit-faced Christmas is what we're calling it now. We might end up calling it something – different and this will be a hostful with with i guess i can say now you're three hosts of bitface i know you're used to me and i know you're used to tyler now you have a new name to add to that pile and uh as you know her name is rebecca we're excited to have her and tomorrow we're gonna do what we want for christmas right and it it can be anything and uh, i don't know i'm not done with my list yet are you done with yours i'm definitely not done with my list i'm hoping to have it done you know b-rex is gonna bring her a game i know i I can't just slip up so I'll, i'll have a list for sure i'm not sure what it's gonna be but i'll have one but so and then we'll put up another we have three more fantastic interviews from indie game con that'll go the episode after christmas but there will be a christmas themed episode coming out next wednesday uh i know this is weird this episode's coming out on a thursday but long story short one of your co-hosts and you can guess who and it might not be who you guess <laughs> was way too drunk last night to record in fact i've got so much novocaine in my mouth right now i'm surprised i'm doing this so thank you guys for for understanding so yeah we'll sandwich this will be indie game con part one we'll do the Bitface christmas episode and then the following week we'll kind of finish out with indie game con two After that, uh, we're going to be in the new year, so I can tell you guys the first episode of next year will, of course, uh, sticking to tradition, will be Games of the Year. And a lot of games have come out in the past month. In fact, one, we might talk about it tomorrow, but games are eking in to my top 10 that I didn't think would get there. And I still have not played everything yet. Uh, One title that comes to mind, I haven't played Mafia 3. I'm going to try to get that played at least before we record that episode. And then... I'm not going to give up anything that we have going on next year, but we have a full slate up and through April already pretty much booked with guests. We've never been able to say that. We have people that we're still looking to schedule and find time to fit them in. It's it's getting kind of yeah, complicated. Yeah, and I know we promised you guys, Danielle Page, I promise she'll be on. I don't know when. Uh, but some good news, the movie and I, Tyler and I, went and visited the set. It's done. Yeah. In fact, Bob uh, on Facebook last night was watching it. Yep. Uh, so I don't know when the premiere that's going to be, but we, of course we're really excited about that because I'm pretty sure 
Tyler makes it into the into the final cut of the film. And that was, I mean, what a great way. When we look back on our year, that's how we spent our march. And I feel like we've come a long way since then, but I also feel like we've got a long way to go. Uh, we have not yet climbed the, uh, the mountain. So I guess anything, we don't have any cons coming up until February. Nope. Look forward to hearing us basically in the new year. Well, yeah, and, and, and continue to listen throughout the year. Both of these Indie GameCom episodes are really good, and I we haven't recorded it yet, but I know the Christmas episode is going to be fun. In fact, my goal tomorrow is kind of uh, we have to top the craziness that was Space Castles and Robots, which was <laughs> the Christmas episode last year, so we'll have a lot of fun with that. Of course, please like the Facebook page. It takes less than half a second, and you know I love you for it. Like us on Twitter. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast service that you like. In fact, we've started to pop up on services I didn't even know that existed. And partially, this is because I got the chairman of the boards running shit behind the scenes and putting us out there, TRG. But even TRG came to me and said, hey, man, did you do this? And I said, no. <laughs> and uh, so we're starting to get picked up by uh, by a lot of people. And, and thanks to, to Indie Game Con for, uh, for hooking us up. That was a lot of fun. If there's one thing we love as much as uh, as beer and dick jokes, it's independent games. So after the BitFace music, again, you're going to have Payback, Fourth Axis, and then John Doric. And then we have three other interviews that are just as good as these that we've saved for the second part of it. Um, yeah, thank you, guys. Let's cue the BitFace music. Back live here, Indie Game Con, wrapping up the day. Actually, Tyler, not really. We still got a couple more of these to do. But I've got Dave and Michelle, and they're going to talk to us about their game, Payback, correct? Right. It, it's not exactly a game. It's actually the next big thing that's happening to the game industry. Okay. So Payback is a way to monetize uh, your games. And, and we had uh, some other friends here also monetizing uh, games. But we, we do it differently, uh, separately from the game. So it's really the, the, the way to um, have game players monetize their passion. Okay, so I'm, I'm a layman when it comes to these things. Explain to me how that works. Well, we live in the information age. Whoever owns the information wins. Right now, you and I own nothing because there's no infrastructure set up for no us to be able to Dave, do that. Thanks, man, for bringing that up. No, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're all in the same boat. But that's what our company does is we create the infrastructure that allows people to download and merge their information from everybody who has it, from Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those kind of people, and everything in the future as well, location-based, everything, and merge it into one account that they own and control. And from this point forward, um, they're able to... Um, make money from that data just like advertisers pay Google to interact with you they now pay you directly to engage with them through advertisements so now when you when you do that it's a very high level interaction with very very good information that you are in command of and you can name your price you don't have to you know it's not clicking for pennies it's like engaging with companies for high value information high value uh, interactions and we have proprietary um, techniques to take people through that sequence to maximize the value for both the advertiser and the person. And then the intention is for you to be able to take that money and spend it on whatever you want, but people in the gaming industry will generally take that money in, out of their digital wallet and spend it anytime that an in-app purchase comes along. And now it's much easier to spend somebody else's money than to reach into your own pocket and, and pay that. So. In general, game uh, players, about 95% never pay anything, um, and only 5% do, and we're thinking that this other 95% is going to start spending a lot more money when they have extra money to spend. So you're saying only 5% of game players are like, are you talking microtransactions? Or? Um, in like Clash of Clans or any type of game that's a freemium model, only about 5% of the people who play that game 
actually pay. Really? Everybody else plays for free for as long as they can. They get credits and, and stuff like that. That seems really low. I never would have guessed that it was. I, I, I figured it'd be more like 30% of people. Yeah, and I did too when I first started out. And, and we did the numbers, and I found out, you know, in one thing there was only 11%. And I was like, wow, only 11%. And then I realized that was really high. <laughs> the, the numbers are actually significantly lower than that. But the freemium model is a billion-dollar industry, and just that 5% spends enough for those guys to make a lot of money. So what we're trying to do for game makers and for the people who play them is to be able to create a new way for them to make more money out of their games and a new way for people to pay uh, the people that they truly love, you know, that they're playing the game. They want to help that person make more games and keep going. So we monetize that whole thing. And from an advertiser's perspective, it's the same thing. It's a beautiful target market in the gaming world to be able to shoot for, and we give them a very valuable interaction that, that allows the money from the advertiser to flow to the gamer without having to change anything of their game. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty phenomenal. I, uh, and it's, is that kind of, is your goal? Like, so we got 5% now. If you can get it to 10 or 15 of the game, is I mean, that... We're geniuses when that happens. When that happens, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and we think the number will be significantly more than that. Um, in the in the gaming world, there's a, a term of a whale. The, the person who spends the money is the whale, and, and usually they spend quite a bit of money on the game. And then my own... Uh, title is, is uh, the minnows. Those are the people who every once in a while they'll spend a dollar. And then there's the zeros who never spend anything. So we think we're going to be able to increase the, the number of minnows, basically, the guys who spend that dollar a, a lot. So, so now, and we're talking about maybe $20 a month that people will make from using our app. And that certainly they're going to open it up and spend $1 with you if, if you're the, the game maker of, of their choice. Okay. When, when is when does your app launch? Where, where are we at in this process? Excellent question. Yeah. So right now we're looking to... Go, go right into it, Michelle. Yep. Can you hear me okay? Uh, yeah, now you're good. So we're looking to collaborate with game makers. And we have reserved uh, some invitations for a select amount of game makers who are interested where they actually don't have to pay a thing. Um, actually, they get paid every month to help us get people to download the Payback app. So we're really looking to talk to game makers to create a strategic partnership and collaborate. Yeah, and we, uh, in, in the process of development, we, we've run our beta test and we learned a lot of things. The, the core technology all works beautifully. And what we learned was that it really needs to be big to be able to launch. So it, this isn't the type of business that you grow, it's the type of business that you launch. So that's what we're looking for now, is to find those game makers with you know millions of users, um, or a bunch of independent you know game makers, uh, to gather together to be able to get an audience big enough to be able to sell advertising against. And then that money, you know, like we say, the game maker doesn't really have to do anything, uh, except partner with us to be able to get our numbers up and then we have two ways that we pay them um, both for the in-app purchases like we were saying that the gamers naturally do and then our affiliate pay program pays them again for the, the help in signing the people up. Where, Why did you guys start this? This had to come from somewhere. Did you guys both have marketing backgrounds, advertising backgrounds? Um, well, well, it's kind of interesting. There's two, two parts. I mean, I... I invested in quite a few companies al along my uh, path and, and got into the video um, technology business and, and streaming video and all that. And through the course of several other investments that didn't go well, I ended up with an advertising channel um, for another company and, and morphed it basically into this uh, business that um, finances everything really. And when we get into the longer term aspects of it, you know, it, it can monetize the internet as well. But right now we're really focusing on our launch strategy for uh, working with game makers. But Michelle really helps the whole process by, by making it win-win. And she's a very positive uh, person. We'll let her t talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so I... Your whole arm's falling off. Can you hear me I'll okay? tell you what, Michelle, you, you talk, I'll fix. Okay. So yeah, so I came on board about a year and a half, and um, is that good? Yeah, you're perfect. Okay, good. Yeah, so I came on board about a year and a half, and so Dave had developed this model and um, worked closely with 
his partner and chief creative officer, Bill. And so I came on board and just kind of loved the idea and ha- saw the whole global vision part of it. And so I've just been working closely with them to create even more win-win scenarios that allow everybody to benefit. I mean, it does something amazing for the people, for game game users, game players, but also does something amazing for game makers, does something amazing for advertisers. So it's really about just kind of the shifting consciousness of instead of, you know, being bombarded by ads and, and whatnot, now you're being paid for them. It's doing something good for you, for everyone involved, and everybody wins. I kind of like the whole idea of, even as a podcast, we have, you know, our material out in 100, 200 different areas. I mean, so the fact that you go out and help these people get it all into one area is just it's mind-blowing to me I don't even know how you begin to manage that and it's like it operates almost like another media channel so while there might be social you could purchase social media you could purchase billboard you could purchase TV well there'll be an opportunity to purchase payback but the money flows to the actual individual user and so we're now creating a, a, a collaborative system amongst advertisers and consumers too so the idea is win-win, collaboration. One of the sayings is that we get bombarded with about 2,500 advertising messages per day. What if you got paid for all those? I mean, it's kind of a big concept. This, but this you can almost see sounds like you guys have said a couple things today that almost sound too good to be true, but I can tell by the way you guys are both looking at me, you know what the hell you're talking about. So... I mean, yeah, if I could get paid to watch advertisements. I mean, I get pissed now when I have to wait 10 seconds watching Hulu for something to scroll by the screen or watching CW. Yeah. And and I pay for that service. Yeah, and that's a really bad use of your time. Um, The amount of advertisements, the way they do it now, to be able to finance um, the media that the advertising is attached to, it's, you know, a lot of times you've got to watch a 30-second ad that you can't skip to watch a minute-long video. I mean, that's... That, frustrating. That's, yeah, it's frustrating well, is a great word. And think of it this way, too, Eric. It's like we watch the Super Bowl to watch the ads. Ads do something good for people. We are not. We don't discount that. It, it's a good thing. The platform and the interaction and the form in which someone receives the ad is going to determine whether it sticks or not. And so creating this, again, making it win-win for both the person, you as a, the person having to interact with the ad and the advertiser getting a higher ROI knowing that their ads being watched because they're paying the person directly. Is this kind of a direct result of the fact I guess it was the evolution of the TiVo or the DVR that all of that went away overnight? Like people don't have to watch commercials anymore. Now they're forced to watch them on Netflix and Hulu and then people are starting to to rip and stream stuff because they don't want to watch the commercials. You guys are trying to help the companies out because they do have to advertise but changing the way that they look at those things that's sorry this is fucking fascinating <laughs> to me dude. No, changing the relationship yeah it's, it, and it's i feel like this is something we've discussed all of us it's payback just represents just a consciousness shift and it doesn't mean that we have to you know what is it crush anyone else or or hack anything it's just like we're just going to evolve like let's just evolve right make yeah. it good for everybody yeah, the idea has been coming for a long time, not just you know from me personally. It's out there in the world. Nobody really does it the way we do it, but but we have spoken as people. You know, when the first TiVo came out, we said commercials suck. We want to do something different than the way you're delivering it. And every evolution that we've had since, they they keep trying to improve the model, but they keep going back to the same old way. We're going to attach a bunch of ads to the thing that you want to watch because we know you want to watch it so bad you're going to watch our thing anyway. And and the people are just saying that's not working for us anymore. we got to come up with something different, and payback is the answer to that uh, entire business model. Well, I'm, I'm certainly interested because I am bombarded with ads all the time. If I was making even a penny every time I had to watch something, I'd do it. Well, that, that's a good start, but let's not settle for that. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> that's what I like to hear, man. Yeah. 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 man after We're going to get you a lot more than that. Yeah. And, and because your time is valuable. And that's what the shift of consciousness that Michelle you know, added to the, the program is that, that we are worth it. You know, We as people, if we're going to pay attention to something, our time is worth it. And, and if you're trying to just hijack my time, then I do not play that game anymore. 
and and you will see that the shift of what we represent happens over the course of time where nobody ever watches another ad that they don't get paid for and think about this too even like the the effort and the creativity that goes into the ads i mean people are pouring their heart and soul that the advertising companies are strategic and I mean, that, to, for it to just be changed or turned off or discounted, it doesn't do anything good for them either. So it's like, how can we bring it together and, and cinch it nicely where it's win-win-win? That's the, that's the new model. That's the wave of the future. Okay, I guess we're going to take five here. All right, how's it going, everybody? We are at Indie Game Con in Denver, sitting down right now with Daniel and Chris from 4th Axis, and we're going to talk a little bit about their game, Children of Oom. Did, did I get that right? That was very good. First Thank time. You. Uh, tell me about the game. All right. So our game is a sci-fi fantasy first-person shooter game. It works fully with our Oculus Rift right now. It's the one form of virtual reality hardware that we are able to test with. We, we're pretty sure it should work with other VR headsets if you try it on. We just haven't applied it yet. But our game takes place on an alien planet. You're able to manipulate the crystal element found around you through the application of wielding. So our players are able to shoot crystals into the, ele- or into the world around them as well as build walls. Later on, we'll even have other building applications like bridges or turrets to allow for in-game change, kind of a crazy element with the Oculus. Okay, now I think I have you been playing it over there? Have I, uh, so those have yep. just been trailers. We actually weren't able to prepare our demo for the space. We were a little worried with the Oculus headset drawing too much of a crowd and kind of turning this place over. I mean, we would have had to have stopped our show to come play. Yeah. So. No, but so that was a trailer that I watched earlier. Yes, it was. That game is pretty, guys. It is. It is. And I don't say that unless it is. And it is pretty. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, and I, I, I want to get a chance when we get done today. Hopefully, we're going to get to walk around and actually look at some stuff because we haven't left these chairs, obviously, as you know. You, you know, yeah. you know yeah. neither oh, of you. Oh, yeah. You guys have been <laughs> kick, kicking butt and staying busy over here. <laughs> but, no, I, the game has a really, uh, really interesting color palette. Where does that come from? Uh, yeah, I, so on the project, I'm the lead texture artist. Um, a lot of that comes from, I think, just our design process. Uh, Ross, who's sort of the creative director on the project, he just loves drawing with a lot of color, and it's very surreal. Uh, so that's sort of the, our base input comes from him on uh, the art that he makes. And then we just are reinterpreting it and trying to really uh, you know, push it as far as we can. So I think a lot of it is is just uh, from the higher-ups in the team and, uh, I don't know, just just their ideas, their inspiration. Uh, A lot of it is like, you know, the reference we get. We look at like Avatar or, uh, what else do we look at? Star Wars. I mean, I know I look at everything. It's... We really like one of the recent game titles, Journey. We like to use that for reference. Journey was amazing game. Okay, is this now is this Fourth Axis's first title? Tell me a little bit about the about the studio. Yeah, so we are uh, most of us have come from one uh, single college. It's called the Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design here in Denver, Colorado. We're all attaining our bachelor's of fine art and game art degree, and through that, we all kind of met up and kind of found the same common goal to create games that really kind of influence and change how people are interacting with their present day life themselves right now and how they're looking at what they're looking at just because of different like how how we're making them interact with our world and our game it's very interesting most people go to college guys to drink and get laid you went to college to make video games do the opposite of oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) I wouldn't say the opposite. Can't, you can have both, but I mean, this sounds like a pretty serious undertaking. Are you guys still students, or is are you are you out now? Uh, we are still students. Yes, uh, there's one of our members of the team who's recently graduated. Myself, I graduate in December, and Chris here will be done sometime in the spring. Yeah, July. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're still all sort of uh, gradually getting out of it and graduating. Yeah. So is the plan post college fourth axis? I uh, that would be definitely one main goal of the big problem for a lot of like our criteria for uh, searching for jobs is that they want three years past experience and they want the game already on the market. So if we're able to succeed in this and get it on the market, it allows us to look elsewhere for jobs. But really, what we would like to do is create this entity here in Colorado 
for ourselves and either even for other people to use and enjoy the prospect of creation of games because as you said uh, it looks pretty and I think that's really just attributed to the fact that it's one of the few like full 3d roam around RPG story driven games here and that's really what we want to provide to a local marketplace because there's really nothing that's doing that outside of like a large Bay City LA Seattle Montreal, any of those really bigger kind of areas. Okay, and you mentioned, since I haven't got to play it yet, talk to me a little bit about, uh, you mentioned the crystals, talk to me about the RPG element of the game. Okay. So, throughout our game, you, the character Robe, are interacting with uh, our world and the elements within it, and one of the main things of our world are the remnants, which are physical representations of emotions from people in the past on our planet and they have removed an emotion from themselves and stored it forever in time in some type of vessel. In our game, what you interact with very first is called Pride's Mask and the Mask of Pride imbues you with uh, an ancient architect's pride and all of his memories. And when you gain this mask and imbue yourself with his powers, you gain the ability to create the walls in game and then later on as you meet more of these remnants and in, like uh, and bond with more remnants that's how our character is going to advance I just I mean can we just shut down the show and go play this on like in VR at their house like <laughs> You know, we do have two more interviews to do today, and uh, I'll tell you guys, I was going to ask you guys about VR next. I have never played virtual reality. Wow. It's, it's different. I mean, I know for me, the first time I played it was actually working on this project. Um, I hadn't played it before that. It's really expensive. And, I mean, they, I, I was, uh, I'm probably one of the more recent employees, and coming onto the project like it was still new then and it's still new now and this was you know a year and a half ago right so playing it for the first time it's completely different and i think part of their uh the reason why um has these colors that it does and the world that it does is because vr is so it's so different and why would you want to just like go in a a generic you know street or like something you somewhere you've already been it's like that's so boring for vr we want to push it we want to go somewhere new so it's a completely alien does it look world. that pretty when i have the headset it looks, on it looks better i, I was mean, gonna honestly. say i bet it looks better oh yeah. my gosh one of the fun things that i think is that so we're using a slightly older version of the unreal or of the oculus it's a dev kit too it's got a 720 output and i really enjoy it because it kind of brings me back into an older age of video game play where it wasn't such high perfect resolutions so you're still a little pixelation still a little bit of a disconnect from where you are but once you get into the high ends that's when you're lost you're in that game you put the speakers on you're gone you're trying to touch the screen and people around you are laughing at you and you don't care because you're in another world to, to bounce off that one one funny thing like we've demoed it at comic-con and the first thing people do is they look down and then they start looking at their hands like it's it's so funny because like in our game you play as an alien you can see your body you can see your hands and always the first thing they do is just take a look at their hands and they're like what the what is this you did know? you guys would you guys demo it at, at denver comic-con is that the last con yeah. you're at yeah, yeah we've been at denver comic-con the last two years and last year summer we went to salt lake city game con i've heard a lot of good things about salt lake con did you guys have a good experience up there uh it was game con it wasn't the comic con oh not the comic con okay. yeah uh but their game con it was a smaller event it was still was good for us as an entity and yeah it was a great video game crowd can I, can I ask you the question I'm sure you get all the time? When's this going to launch? <laughs> Crickets. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. So, big plan for us right now. What we're showing here today, the trailer footages that you've been seeing, they're of our Snazrod forest area. It's kind of midway into our game. And what we've been doing and designing has been with school as well. And so a lot of the objects kind of are from our school and student programs. So we're going to have to rehash and redesign those to make them professional and marketable. So uh, what we have here will be available as a free download, as a beta to play. That'll be soon. We're thinking mid-January. Okay. We have a few tweaks, uh, an arena for fighting and then a boss fight to kind of do a capstone cherry on top in the end. Yep. Thank you for that little surprise reaction. I like that face. 
I, arena for fighting? Yes. Like, do I get to fight other people? Uh, no. Uh, we, we've talked about multiplayer, but as an indie studio, we don't have, like, that coding background to get into that. What we're doing is an arena with one of our enemies to fight. Okay. Like basically, Shard like, a horde mode. Oh, that's still awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But if you guys ever get awesome funding, you should do a PvP. With Oculus. That's what I want. Is the game strictly yeah. Oculus, or does it have No, a, okay. We do want to provide... I think right now it does... Ross was saying it does support the Vive right now, um, but it doesn't support the, um, I don't know, the 3D space of it. It's just the headset. Um, so it does support the other headsets. Um, it doesn't take advantage of their unique features, though. But we do want to provide a standalone handheld version as well. Well, not handheld, if you want to be on the PC, but we play it with like an Xbox controller. And so it's going to be Oculus very similar not. to Resident Evil 7, where you're going to have both. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's that's pretty phenomenal. I want to. Uh, is the trailer like? I know you guys are showing it today. Is it linkable? Is it something we could put up on the Bitface website? You definitely can. So because I want people to see the game. Because I've only seen brief snippets as you've been messing around with the trailer today. I guess, and I was like, what the hell is he playing over there? That fucking looks awesome. Uh, yeah, no. And so on our website page, fourthaxisgames.com. <coughs> fourthaxisgames.com. <laughs> Just to be sure. Uh, on there, you can find uh, videos. There'll be uh, old trailer from, geez, maybe about a year and a half ago of our work in progress, and then a more recent trailer that you've seen here. And then what also we've been showing here today has been a gameplay footage. And we want to kind of uh, finalize that gameplay footage and put that out for view too before like even the final demo release because what we've been showing here for gameplay footage we've been getting really good response but we know it can still look better there's a few things in there that are not there that can be and will make it look so much better and like we're cringing at it sometimes while people are still like oh oh it's so great and it's not even like a third of where it can be right now it's kind of what's awesome I think that's okay. And thinking about it, you said this is just a forest level, correct? Are you guys going to have different color palettes throughout the game? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know how much we want to talk about that, but yeah, there's going to be a variety of environments. It's kind of like the the inspiration from Journey. That's one of the big things. Okay. It's their vast color palette and the different moods that you get from different areas and environments. So did you guys start playing, if you guys are in college now, I mean, you're, you're pretty young. You're probably younger than Tyler, right? Yeah, I mean... 20, sure. 20s? 23. 23? Okay. 22. When did you guys start playing? I, I asked someone that earlier today, and their answer was Pokemon Red and, or Blue, and we get that. That's the most common answer that we get on the podcast, but what, what what's the first thing you guys ever picked up? Uh, see, so for me, it was the Super Mario Bros. on NES. Me and my dad used to do, like, all-nighters and... Him and my mom were not in the best of relationship status because of him staying up all night with me for that. It was great. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you say that because even though I'm 20 years older than you, I also spent a lot of time with my father bonding and playing Super Mario Brothers. Very Dad and nice. I played a lot of Mario. We played a lot more Zelda, though. That was our kind of our game. My mom had Zelda, man. Oh. <laughs> the one game she ever had. It was crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, for me... Uh, I think it was Ocarina of Time was probably like the first game I, I really sunk my teeth into as a kid, and I think that's what started me on the path of making games, honestly. Did you guys work with anyone, either at 4th Axis or at school, that doesn't have a love for games, they just want to be a programmer, or they just want to develop them, or does it all have to come from, are all developers gamers? See, that's a hard one. So, uh, we, we would work with someone, but like as an indie studio, we really like to have just a playability with everyone in our group and get everyone to have a little bit of a say because I think that allows us variability in our marketplace where we're getting all these different people's ideas so it wouldn't like be a necessity but we all like to talk about video games yeah, as I we're think, designing. I think they would be totally lost just because we're constantly bringing up games it's like you know that part in Bioshock or whatever and it's like we would be lost on them but um, I know right now we have um someone who sort of runs the PR side and they do a great job and they don't play a lot of games so um, yeah it just depends you bring up Bioshock it's one of my favorite games of all time can you imagine playing something like that in virtual reality can you imagine virtual rapture yeah that's what we were, we were actually we were talking about that one earlier today and uh, 
referencing our hands to their hands and how well like just their individual motor control for digits because a lot of games you kind of feel like you're wearing mittens when you move your hands they do really good of individualizing and yeah I think just it would be crazy just because you they do such a good job of making your player feel um, original kind of which is what we kind of really like to use them as a reference where we want you to feel as you you're not something that you can refer to as like oh I feel like I'm like this or I feel like I'm like that it's like no after you play our game you will tell people it's like I was robe robe was me and I was a wielder and guard yeah so did you guys look at the the first person genre the RPG mixed genre and want to improve it is that where this came from or is that what you guys prefer to play uh you know, you'd have to ask Ross about that one. Because um, Daniel's not touching that one with a 10-foot pole, yeah, I can tell. I, no, no, I mean, I, uh, yeah. I, I know for me, like, the, the FPS genre, it's like it gets these moments where it starts to become diversified, where you have, uh, I mean, like in 2008, you had Bioshock the year before, you had Mirror's Edge. You started to get a little bit more of that, like, uniqueness within the genre, but then it always boils back down. I mean, this year, we have some great games. Uh, the new Call of Duty, I'm sure, is good as usual, but... You know, it actually, it really, it's getting, it's getting shit on all over the place, Hold and it's on. not okay. horrible. The answer yeah, is okay. not as usual. They're usually awful, but this time, <laughs> well, they're, they're, this time, they're it's every, good. they're, they're we always don't as step good on as the one here, before. You know, they they never get any better. But I, I probably shouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> no, you, you should. You should be honest, man, because yeah. they haven't. I, yeah. I used to play it every single well, year. I, yeah, well, I did too. I played, I played Black Ops One. I played Modern Warfare Three. I played Black Ops Two, and I stopped because it was just. Black Ops 2 is where I dropped off too, but I got back on this year just to try because they were going in space, Right. and they actually made new guns, guys. I mean, I know that sounds like a minor thing, but you've had the same 12 guns in the game, and I'm glad they tried to bring a little bit of originality. I tell you guys what, they have the best shooter this year, Dishonored 2. Unbelievable. Uh, The only thing I've heard on that, personally, uh, visual difference from Dishonored 1 is not to the degree that it could be. It's still super pretty. Oh, heck yeah! It's that, that makes me happy because I've only heard. I don't know if it's scene. as pretty as y'all's game though, and I'm I'm not pissing your asses. I'm I'm being dead serious because I've I've stared over there a couple days. Like, they must be playing some big studio title. There's no way that that's uh, that that's an independent oh. game over there. Yeah. And I think once the perception of indie games is that you can make something like Children of Oom. Sky's the limit, guys. Yep. It, I mean, because I I don't look at your game and, and see an indie game per se. No. And- that's something that's I think has been like an eye opener for myself, even as we've been in de- design, and even as I've been just in school itself. Because I entered school just I want to make video games. That's really all I knew, and yeah, to be at this point to look at what we have and to say that we've been to Comic Con and have like had an experience as a design company, it's very surreal. It's kind of not even like sinking in, even though it's almost like my second year working with us, kind of thing. Did you guys get to have fun at Comic-Con, or was it all work all day? It was all work all day, Yeah, it really does feel like work. (laughs) It's crazy. Uh, Getting hungry and just feeling exhausted, even though you've stood in one place all day, is a very strange thing. We've sat in chairs all day right now, and we feel exhausted. And you feel, like, dizzy, almost. And Yeah, that was a weird one for Comic-Con for me. The weird thing tonight, and I know we will play a little bit, but normally when we go to a con, we walk out of the con, and we haven't looked at anything. We haven't talked to anybody except someone that sat down at our table that day. We don't even feel like we were really there. We know we were there, but we don't feel like we were there. So this year, are you guys going to do DCC as fourth axis? So uh, the past years, we've been getting in with our school through RIMCAD. Uh, Right now... It's kind of up in the air because I have graduated as well as the other members. So Chris right now is our only member still attending. Help us, Chris Kenobi. Yes. You're our only hope. <laughs> but even if we don't get the RIMCAD's help with getting our boost space, we still would like to try and look into personally funding that. It would be a little pricey, but it's still... And if it we, if would we be have the it. demo out, I mean, we will by then. And 
hopefully by then we'll we'll find some way to make some money off of this. Yep. So we can actually fund that ourselves. What's the what's the plan for monetization? Are you guys gonna do like a like a Kickstarter or GoFundMe? Are you gonna put it out there? Uh, I'll just say I don't think we want to talk about it right now, just because okay. it's it's so up in the air. It would no no hey it that's would, it would just be complete speculation. That is uh that is that is completely fine. You definitely do not have to talk about it. What I was gonna say is if you guys are at DCC this year, stop by the table. We'll be there as media this year for the first time. And uh, we'd be really excited to kind of see, you know, it's November now. I want to see where you guys are at next year. And we'll certainly be keeping up with you. And you could play it then, too. I want to just, like, seriously, like, come up and play it before then. <laughs> yeah, we should, uh, get, we we should gotta, get together you guys our cards when man. we come out with the demo, actually. Yeah, yeah. Would you guys, I, in, in fact, uh, and we've talked to a lot of people, we're getting the schedule filled up. If this is time sensitive for January for you guys, we will schedule you in January. You guys can either come down or we'll come up. We'll all play the game, uh, have a little bit of fun with it, and then talk about it afterwards. Because I'd love to talk to you guys about it after I get to play it. That would be great, and that's really the big thing that we're looking for. Because we, we can do tons of things ourselves personally with getting our game onto these marketplaces, but getting that last thing of... Yeah, it's like we can build a, a great game, but... You know, if we can't show it to people, if we can't, you know, describe it to people, if we can't talk to people like you and, and actually get that buzz going. And it's an Oculus game. We want to be recreating nature. We want to be, na like, recreating natural environments. So, yeah, getting your hands on and getting uh, into it is definitely the best way to experience our game. Excellent. We're being kind of quiet for half of a second. Awkward silence. There's voices passing over my head. <laughs> Hi, Ben. He said Ben, right? Okay. <laughs> We're actually going to pause the audio on here for a sec. Or actually, if you guys want to just wrap up real quick, since we can probably yeah, hear us over cool them. with me. I, I had work this morning. I'm getting hungry. Yeah, trust <laughs> us. We had uh, we took we took a 30 minute this time. We normally don't, and we ate some burritos like as fast as we could. Oh yeah, very nice. Yeah. I see some on your keyboard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I ate it in my car. You liar. <laughs> uh, but anyways, it was it was great having you guys on. I know. Eric seriously is stoked. Like, if we get a chance, it won't be immediately. But if you, you guys can, are, you still can here. ask him. I'm, I'm not, I'm not an ass kisser. When I saw it, I was like, "What the fuck is that? Like, I want to play that. What is that game?" No, I've been wondering. I too. implore you, go to fourthaxisgames.com and yeah, check out the videos. Well, there. actually, we're probably not tonight because I know we're going to be exhausted. We're going to try to link the trailer on our awesome. page because yeah. we've got. I mean, we're not just Denver. We've got we got fans all over America. So that, that sounds. Yeah, great. we're excited to play it. And thank you guys so much for sitting down with us and, yeah. and, and sharing your passion with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. same here. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Short break. Oh yeah, by delay you meant delay. That's <laughs> yeah. I was thinking oh, a little bit of flat slap back. No big deal. All right, I got it. Are you are you sure? Yeah, Saucy Mailman says no echo on the stream. Okay, so you're positive we can go for it. Yeah, positive. Okay, staying right on schedule here. Um, we have Film Composer. Is that what I call you, John? Yeah, that's what you call me. There you go. Well, you can call me anything you want. Just don't call me late to dinner. You okay, know? yeah. We, we've got award-winning. Sorry, I, I, I forgot the award-winning yeah. part. We've got award-winning film composer, John Doric. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did. Okay, good. fantastic. Hey, there's a first time for everything, John. Um, and it's, I'm sorry, guys, about the echo on the last uh, stream. I think we've got that fixed now. Anyway, um, John, tell us a little bit about what you do besides fixing our audio by, uh, by just by sitting down with us today. Yeah, besides fixing audio, sitting down next to guys. Um, yeah, so I've been composing music for uh, feature films, documentaries, um, uh, and episodic television for almost 30 years. Uh, I've composed music for unsh for programs for shows that have showed up on PBS, BBC, Fox Network, uh, Discovery History. Uh, probably got about a dozen titles on Netflix. Uh, and this last year, did my first theatrical musical, which was a lot of fun too. How did you get into? You said you've been doing this for thirty years. Where does this all Where does this all start oh, for you? Oh man! So how many hours you got? <laughs> uh, We've got about twenty minutes. Okay, so. perfect. Okay, I'm gonna get really fast. Uh, 
basically, uh, many, many years ago, I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but um, my career path, like a lot of people, kind of went one way and the other. I, I actually went to school originally for uh, physics and space science. And it's a long story, but long story short, uh, I was at the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster, saw it, was there, and a lot of people going after what I was going after were all getting laid off, and uh, music had always been a passion of mine. Many of my mentors said, what are you doing going in for that? You should be going to Juilliard or you know, Berkeley. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Of course, then I was 21 years old, and what do I know? But uh, all that to, to be said, uh, physics and science and astronomy kind of became a hobby for me. But a door opened for me to get involved in the feature film and motion picture business, originally in location sound. So I was I used to work for a company called Southeast Audio Services that did the location sound for Miami Vice. I uh, also did the sound services for 21 Jump Street with John, Johnny Depp, and I got to do some dubbing work with Johnny Depp and kind of worked my way along the way doing that. I was a location engineer, I was a boom man, I was an A3. Eventually I became an A1, which is the guy that actually runs you know, the sound for you know, the sound recorders. And that slowly eventually opened doors to, uh, I was in the studio and then one day somebody says, hey, we need a comp our composer dropped out. Do you know somebody that could compose this for us? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I could. And, one thing led to another. and So, so kind of right place, right time. Right time, right place. But a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work. And, I mean, during that time, I was going to workshops on film composing. I was attending classes. I was reading books. Uh, I mean, I was reading through all the same literature that somebody does who's getting their bachelor's and master's in music and in film scoring. Uh, I also interned under, you know, people who were working full-time as Hollywood uh, film composers as well. And, um, yeah, just a lot of hard work and a lot of years of putting myself into it and working, kind of working my way up a bit at a time until the opportunities. When the opportunities became available, I was ready to take them and uh, started working. And I say to people who want to go into this, into that field, as I do take on interns and teach workshops and so forth as well, as I say, you've got to have a super, super big love for music. You've got to learn orchestration. You've got to learn all the things about melody and counter melodies and leitmotif and rhythm. But you've got to have an equal passion for film, for storytelling, and how movies are made. And I've often explained this, that you've got to know everything about music and you've got to know everything about how to, how to make a movie so you can talk with a director about their movie. On the other hand, the director doesn't have to know beans about music. And that's not his problem, that's yours. you gotta, you got to be able to communicate with them. But you need to kind of have a love for both and really know both. Uh, a lot of people who do go in for degrees, you know, for film music, will often get dual degrees or minors in film as well as in music because it really is, it's a very specialized uh, field of, of music to write music for video games or media or television or feature films. So how, how does the process work? Are you writing the same time that they're filming and you're showing it to the director and then, hey, I don't like that, do something else, come back with something different? How did, walk me through how you would do yeah. a film. Okay. Uh, for, for starters, uh, sometimes I get asked, how early do we need to be talking to you? A director, if they're new to the whole film producing world, I'll say, well, today. You know, yeah, there is no too early. In reality, in the A-list world, in the Hollywood world, uh, they'll often meet with the composer and be discussing conceptuals about their film, even in what they call pre-production. They haven't even started shooting yet, and they're talking. Not all movies, but a lot of, like, your Pixar films will do that, a lot of your bigger-budget A-list films. And I try to get some of the independents to do that as much as they can potentially afford it. But in reality, the, my real job usually doesn't start till the filmmaker has finished what they call their final cut, which is the final edit of the movie in the order, the scenes shot and cut now in the direct, in the order they're going to be. Special effects don't necessarily have to be in, but everything has been put in place so when you can watch that movie from front to end, it's the order that it's in, the way it's happening, the scenes as they're being cut is going to stay that way. That's why we call it final locked picture. Locked, the idea being it can't be unlocked, which is funny because it never happens that way but but you know real theoretically what you get is you get a, a, a locked picture you get a reference video you sit there and watch that film with the director discussing every scene and then you start working literally composing to the picture so I'm watching the scenes I'm watching the drama and uh, after I've already had a spotting session with the director to figure out where we want music where we don't want music and I'm writing the music and I'm sitting there usually with virtuals which is you know computer-based sounds uh, that sound very 
very much like real instruments, and I'm playing through what I hear, what I envision is going to be musically happening. Now, you've got to be super flexible because almost, remember, your job is ultimately to serve the story and to serve the director, which means his, this is his baby, not mine, but I'm going to create something that most directors don't make music. If they did, they wouldn't hire me. So I'm going to make something that is completely out of their control in some ways, but is dr dramatically affecting the emotion of their story. So it's a, it's a tricky, careful relationship. Um, but yeah, I'm watching a, a, a final cut, and I'm usually composing to that. If there's no, if it's a lower budget film, and I'm just doing it with virtuals, that's that's it. We keep revisioning, we're tweaking to make the director happy, to make the story work. Sometimes we're pulling things out, sometimes we're putting other things in. Um, and then on top of that, uh, if if the film is a bigger budget, and we're going to add live instruments, session players, once the cues are approved as virtuals, then we'll add you know, a live cello, a small choral ensemble, a guitarist, whatever. Uh, if the film's a bigger budget, like I did a project a year ago for uh, called, uh, a theatrical musical called Samson, which we then recorded with the Nashville Symphony with a 50-piece orchestra, then all the music I've performed, because on computer, is then translated into real notation, and then we go to a live a studio with a live orchestra with 50 I was going to ask, do you do that translation yourself? Um, sometimes, but there's so much work to do. Like when I wrote the music for Samson, I probably wrote close to 150 cues, uh, and I did that in nine months. So while I'm writing cues, the cues I've already written have to be already being transcribed into sheet music. And then I go to the next one, and then they're doing that. Meanwhile, we also have to take, they were mixing my virtuals with the live orchestra, so we also have to take and format the virtual instruments in a format, 24-bit, stemmed out every track, separate track, to be then mixed with the live orchestra. They were playing to that. So there's so much going on, and this is true in a Hollywood uh, feature film. It's true in episodic television. They're turning around an episode every week or two, there isn't one person can't do it all. So even, it's not just the sessioning, it's also things like the copy work, the, what we call engraving, the orchestration, the session work, the orchestra contracting, all of this. That's why when you watch a movie, or even a TV show, if you slow it down and watch it frame by frame, you'll see there's a whole list of names that are the music department. It's never like one guy who did it all. Um, if it's one guy who did it all, either the budget is extremely low, or they had a ton of time, because usually if you've got a limited amount of time, and whatever your budget might be, uh, there's too much work to get done in too little of the time. So no, usually we're, there's other people involved. Now, do you? It sounds like you're very familiar with music. Do you play instruments? Did that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I do. I've got. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, I don't know how many years. It doesn't matter. But I, I play about nine instruments. Yeah. What's your favorite? You know, I play violin, <laughs> electric violin, viola, viola cello. Uh, classical guitar, electric guitar, six-string, twelve-string guitar, a whole bunch of ethnic instruments. I've got 15 years, 20 years of operatic voice training. Uh, spent a lot of time with uh, doing doing opera and classical, and then I went on to join a heavy metal rock band and toured doing that for a few years. And, yeah, and right after that, I went into a bluegrass band and played blue. I mean, I'm just musically. I'm, I'm what instrument? Like, if, if let's say you got a project today, any project. Would you start with guitar when you're yeah. coming up with a theme, uh, or do you, you know, start with piano? Or it, A lot of what film composers do, I explain this often in workshops, it's kind of like you're basically a musical sound designer. You're thinking less about what can I, what can I do musically that will be musically impressive or interesting. You're thinking more about what can I do that fits the scene well. And the sound designer does, I, by the way, I also do sound design. The sound designer also does that, thinks, do we want rain here? Do we want wind? Do we want, they're, they're not thinking about it because they want to really push their really cool rain sounds. They're, they're putting whatever fits in the scene. So with that in mind, when I watch a scene, I often hear sounds. If I'm doing it as a composer, I hear a musical sound. So the first thing when I watch a scene I might hear is a cello. Or I might hear a whole string section. Or I might hear brass. Or I might hear a slide a slide guitar, a resonator guitar, because it's kind of a bluesy sort of piece that's got kind of a, it, it's kind of, and it's a period piece. It's an American Civil War or something, and I'm hearing a certain sound in my head. So when I hear that sound, I'll often grab that instrument like uh, I did a series a couple of years ago called For Love of Liberty, The Story of America's Black Patriots with Halle Berry, Morgan Freeman, Samuel Jackson. And I was one of the composers on it. And on some of the scenes, I would look at the scene and immediately in my head, I heard kind of a, uh, a, a, a Celtic slash 
Celtic Appalachian sort of fiddle sound. So I grabbed one of my fiddles, and I got six of them, so I grabbed one of my fiddles, and I just sat there watching the screen, playing along, until I came up with a piece that I thought really worked nice. So then I went in the studio, recorded that piece. Now I often will record temp pieces that I bring in then a, a professional musician, a really good guy, to come in and play. But in this case, it actually worked so well that I kept it. Uh, but I, I laid that fiddle down, and that was the basis that then I built a whole orchestra around and other instruments, and then I brought a vocalist in, and I brought some choral ensembles and so forth that all was built around that 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 little fiddle tune, that little kind of raw. It, it had just a. Uh, it was, the, the particular scene was about how back in the during the the uh, Revolutionary War, um, that uh, there were many uh, many of the British were trying to convince the. The, the black slaves that if they fought for the British they would get their freedom okay. but many of the black slaves didn't quite buy into it some of them did and so this scene had it was being narrated by Alan Rickman you know rest in peace yeah rest in peace right and so I'm watching the scene I'm going there's an organic rough earthiness to this scene of what's happening but there's also the whole aspect of the British Empire saying well we're going to use this to weaken those 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 rebels, you know, and and we're going to get their slaves to turn against them, you know, because because they don't want to be slaves. Well, the truth was at the time, especially during the Revolutionary War, some of the slaves were better off with. Now this is going to sound racist or whatever, but I don't mean. But it, it's just history. We're we're felt more of a of an association to their masters than they did to the British, who who wanted them to rebel uh, against the revolutionaries. So there was this, all these different factors playing into the scene. And so I could hear kind of a, an Appalachian-ish, Celtic-esque sort of fiddle part, which I then added slide guitar to, added a gospel vocalist, added, you know, and, and built this whole thing that had a kind of a classic feel, kind of an organic feel. We even brought in an instrument called the diddly bow, which is, um, if you don't know what it is, it's basically a long stick with three strings, and there's, it's like a bass, but it but it's acoustic and it's fretless and the best thing I can explain describe the sound when you hear somebody who actually knows how to play it, it sounds like slavery it's amazing it's just and a guy who actually had several of them custom built for himself and played them was very much an, or an, an original blues player not a modern jazz blues player but a, you know played this really organic type blues he brought it in played it for me and I'm like oh my god yeah okay yeah let's put that down and uh, so that's but how did that develop how did that happen it's 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 a very organic process uh, it's very collaborative too I bring different people in I write melodic ideas sometimes I'm just sitting there on the keyboard using you know the virtual instruments other times I'm pulling out a classical guitar or a fiddle or whatever um, you know usually I'm laying it in with something uh, and then bringing other people to either enhance or replace certain parts until I till it's just right. It's it's kind of like cooking without a cookbook. <laughs> it's like, well, let's put a little of this. No, no, that's not so good. I'll take that out. You know, is it hard to watch a movie without any sound in it? It has to be. Watch a movie without sound. Like or? when you first get the cut. Oh, none of the sounds in oh, there. That's well, got to be. talking. Yeah, there's just dialogue. You know. Uh, uh, no, no, it actually isn't. So here's the thing about what I do. Here, here's the hard part. When I watch a film for the first time, and this is how I know whether I'm the guy for the film or not, either I watch the film and immediately I'm hearing music that needs to be there. You can see it in your, it, or you yeah. hear it in so your head. So in the sense of your question, yeah, it feels like, oh, something's missing, and I can hear what's missing, and I'm going, oh, yeah, I, I want to be on this gig, and then I'm trying to audition or whatever to hope they'll hire me, and I'm going to write them some cues to give them the idea of what I would write. And I know right away what should be in that film, or at least I think I do. Or I watch a film and I'm going... I got nothing, <laughs> you know. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you're watching a film and you're going, you know. Uh, and I've actually told clients, I've, or potential clients, producers, directors, I've said, you know, I love your film. I think it's really great, but I don't think I'm the guy for it. Let me give you the number of some other composers that I think would be perfect for this. Uh, and sometimes they're shocked to hear me say that because they're like, well, why would you ever turn down anything? But it, other than for the money, if the money's not good enough, or whatever. But it's like, no. Casting a composer is uh, the right composers just as important as casting uh, the right voice on a video game, the right actor, or in a movie, the right actor on on, on a film. Um, you know, Russell Crowe's great, but not for everything. You know, like Les Mis. No, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna go there. But but you know what I mean. Uh, you could have a, f a phenomenal guy or, or or lady, and and but they're just not the right. 
part, and, and I'm not the right part for everything. There was a gig, oh, years and years and years ago I got hired to, that wanted some classical up front. It was for a cooking show for PBS, and I, I did them some stuff, and they loved it, and we were rolling along, and they said, now the rest of it we want to be in the style of this particular jazz pian pianist, exactly in his style, exactly, you know, and I'm like, well, what do you mean exactly? I said, if you mean exactly, let's go get him. Well, he's dead. Oh, okay. Well, then license some of his music. Oh, we don't. We don't want to spend that money. You could do it. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I says I don't play that. That's not. I, I can bring a guy in who plays like that. No, no, no. Just you go ahead and do it. So I did it, and it was like, oh, that's not quite the way this guy. That's not. And this is. And I'm going like, guys, no, no. I said, I said I'll find you some music that'll sound like it, or I'll find you somebody who plays like that. But you know, I'm not. And and in the end, we worked it all out. But. But you know, it's 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 important. Do you uh, know, like, I mean, ten minutes into a movie, like, hey, this is yeah. awesome. I hear it, or yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. I don't pretty even much. need to keep pretty, going. Pretty much. Is yeah. there a certain genre you don't like to do? Oh, that I don't like to do. Well, you don't you like ask to ask me the positive questions, like, what do I love doing? <laughs> well, I tell you what happens after a number of years. Uh, when you get beyond the point of I'll take anything because I just am trying to build my resume and build my portfolio. Once you get past that point, you start to get to a point where. The stuff that, the stuff that attracts, that draws you in, you get drawn to, and you start doing more and more of those jobs. Then you get known for that body of work. So um, people who have something totally different aren't going to call you because they're going to look at your reel, they're going to look at your website, and they're they're not going to think, oh, he does, you know, you know, heavy metal reggae or whatever. You know, uh, they're going to look at like if you go to my site, you'll see that I do a lot of my styles very much like James Newton Howard, James Horner, Hans Zimmer. It's in that kind of genre. So those kind of people call me. So historical epics, action adventure, uh, medieval uh, fantasy, science fiction, sci-fi. Uh, and if you look at my reel later today, get a chance to get a chance to play it. You'll see that's a lot of. Yeah, the can we of. link to? Uh, do you have your reel online anywhere? Can well, we put it on our this website? This reel, not yet, but I do have quite a few reels on there. You yeah. do? Okay. Oh yeah, there's there's video and audio. Yeah, and it's johndoric.com. It's J-O-H-N-D-O-R-Y-K.com. Tyler, uh, Tyler will we'll get that yeah, up perfect, today. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, I'll definitely do my best to link that up in just yeah, a little awesome. bit. So. Awesome. And uh, you, you mentioned earlier you've got some stuff on Netflix. Everyone that listens to our podcast has Netflix. If they wanted to go tonight and watch a movie okay. and hear the sound yeah. of award-winning oh. sound designer, uh, well, John Doric. There's one film on there. I, I can't remember all of them, but there's one film on there called Pawn's Move. It was a romantic comedy. It's actually kind of out of the style of a lot of the other stuff I do. It was more of an acoustic, quirky, kind of like a Brother Where Art Thou sort of thing. We had banjo, we had acoustic guitar, we had fiddle, stuff like that. Uh, so Pawn's Move, and it's a funny, quirky story about a guy who thinks he's inherited a million-dollar stamp and owns a pawn shop, you know, and now everybody in the world is trying to become his friend you know so it's kind of a cute film uh, another film uh, that I did that was on uh, Netflix or that is on is Confessions of a Prodigal Son uh, okay. which I was actually sound designer on that film um, uh, another well, the series that I was telling you mentioning about For Love of Liberty, the story of America's black patriots, I believe it's still on Netflix, and that was with Halle Berry, Morgan Freeman, Samuel Jackson, uh, Alan Rickman. Uh, so that's a couple of them. I mean, there've been, there've been, there's more, but I, after a while, they all just kind of... Well, I mean, when you've been working in the business for 30 <laughs> years, I mean, there's projects you've done you probably wouldn't remember unless I looked it up on your IMDb, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and you go, oh, did you work on... Oh, yeah, I did. Well, every once in a while, an IMDb credit will pop up, and I'm like... Oh, really? Oh. oh, okay, yeah, I guess I did do that. I remember. <laughs> well, Tyler's giving me the rap signal over here, but, but John, I know you're also in the Springs. Yep. We'd love to sit down with you for a full, this isn't really a full episode of BitFace. We normally do an hour with a guest oh, just so wow, we can cool. uh, we can really kind of get to know him. So if you want to come by the cave anytime, Absolutely. Tyler's a, a pretty good cook. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> we normally make dinner for our guests. We'd wow. love to have you, John. This is, wow. uh, yo, yeah, we, well, we yeah, like to I would, Heck, time. I would have been happy with a, just a <laughs> cup of coffee or something. Oh, we can make you a cup of coffee, but, uh, but yeah, normally we'd sit around. We'd, I'd, I'd love to pick yeah. your brain about this because I, I have, feel like we haven't even scratched the surface. Well, if you guys ever want to come by, uh, if you want to do a remote and come by the studio, I'd be more than happy to give, oh, you, we'd love give to you the nickel tour. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it would make our uh, our audio setup here probably look uh, oh, well, 
it was, yeah, it's just different purpose. When we first started, we sat around with one little blue micro, uh, blue yeah, Yeti on, right. our, on some right. cardboard boxes. Yep, so, yep, yep. so we're moving. Been there, up. done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, used to, we used to go, uh, you know, scrounging for uh, old, old foam and, egg, and, you know, they talk about egg carton, egg crate. We literally were stealing, we're not stealing, but, you know, scrounging egg crates to make, this is back in college, uh, you know, to make uh, acoustic rooms so we could record stuff. And, we still yeah. need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, we, we should probably go steal some, some egg crates. Okay. Yeah, right now. Just got to right. clean the broken eggs out of them and all. <laughs> then the room starts stinking after a while. Oh, yeah. Thank God. No, we don't need to do that. We'll get some clean ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will. But, but John, thank you for stopping hey, by to talk to pleasure. us today. I don't want to keep you from your uh, from your sandwich either, but this is a blast, man. I'm, fa- I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by what you do because I could never – when I see a completed movie – you take so many things for granted, and I think the music is one of those. I don't know if you've ever tried to watch a horror movie without music. It's not even the same. Oh, yeah. It's not even yeah. the same ballgame. Yeah. Well, the one, the one question you guys, you guys, you were kind of touching on it about when I get a movie to look at, but that you hadn't asked was like, when we go to the movies, can I sit there and, and, and no, I drive my wife absolutely insane. Well, it depends. If the sound design and the music is really good, I'm sitting there going, yeah, wow, that's, yeah. Plus, a lot of my buddies, a lot of my interns have gone on to work for places like Skywalker Sound and Sony Pictures and so forth. So I'm always like, hey, kids, look, see, that's Dad's friend. He's up there on the screen. And they're like, yeah, Dad, whatever, you know. Uh-huh. But, uh, but yeah, but if the sound is bad. Does it completely like, take you out of it where you're like, hey, oh, I, yeah. I can't even watch well, this anymore? If, if, if it's good, if it's good, then I don't even think about it just like the audience. I'm getting sucked into the story. But if it's badly done, then, yeah, I'm squirming in my seat and usually driving my wife crazy because I'm going, what were they doing? That just, you know. And a lot of when they ask me about what it is that's considered good music or good sound design, my thing is it's not if somebody walks up to me and says, that music was amazing. can't remember what the story was about, but, man, the music was incredible. I go, well, something was wrong. Either I wrote the music wrong or this film really, really stunk. Uh, but if they say, I don't really rec- recollect every single little piece, but, man, the whole thing just moved me. And I was crying at one point and laughing. at the other. Then I'm like, I did my job. That's yeah. exactly what we're supposed to have. That's right. phenomenal. I, I, we're like two minutes over, but <laughs> but we, we cut you a little short because I had to do a lot of uh, technical work You're, here. It's good. Uh, I do have one question. You did mention you might not do heavy metal reggae, but could you do some heavy metal reggae for us? Sure. Yes. You come into the studio. I'll do you some heavy metal reggae. All right. Well, I also also used to joke about we used to joke about Celtic grunge, but now that's not now that actually exists because if you listen to bands like uh, oh geez what's the name of that one band that's they're real Celtic but they're really hard rock. Oh, Flogging Molly. Oh yeah. yeah okay. That's, yeah. That's Celtic grunge. Yeah, it is. So it really exists. It's Celtic grunge. That's yeah. What it is. Celtic it's right. grunge. It's not crap. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Well, thank, thank you for hey, stopping by, John. Seriously, it was my pleasure. And I don't think, uh, BitFace listeners, this will be the last time that uh, <laughs> that you hear from John. We're going we're gonna to convince him, even if it is with a cup of coffee, is, to come is, over to the cave and talk to us. Is that a promise or a threat? It's, it's both. Okay, <laughs> awesome. awesome. Thank you, John. Cool. We didn't even get into the mountain climbing.